Hi guys, Rob here, podcast editor for EveryMind. This week we have a heavy hitter on the podcast, finance director for Starbucks, mental health speaker, and board of trustees for Mental Health Foundation and Mad World. Johnny Jacobs has an outstanding resume and his conversation definitely lives up to the hype. EveryMind is built on these types of conversations and if you think EveryMind at Work can help your business, then head over to everymindatwork.com to get a free trial. If you found this episode valuable, don't forget to share with a friend or you can leave us a review on iTunes. Enjoy the show. So Johnny, welcome to the EveryMind podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you, Paul. Although it's all relative as we enter the first weekend of lockdown. Yeah, it's a d- difficult period right now. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation because this is one that I've wanted to have for a long time. And I know we've tried to get it in the diary. So kind of looking forward to hearing a bit more about your story and also just your overall viewpoints on, on mental health in the workplace. But to kind of kick it off, do you want to just give us a little bit of a background on, on who you are? Yeah, well, thanks, Paul. And that makes two of us. I've been uh, looking forward to this myself. I love everything that, that you do and feel really privileged that you've invited me on to have this chat today. So I suppose for, for listeners out there, I'm Johnny. I am a finance director at Starbucks in the Europe, Middle East and Africa region. I feel very privileged to be part of a, an incredible organization, um, very purposeful business such as Starbucks. And of course, we, we sell great coffee. Uh, and I'm also a trustee of the Mental Health Foundation, which is the UK's leading charity for everybody's mental health. Amazing. And, and we connected, I don't know, we, we were trying to figure this out the other, the other, the other week. We, we connected a, probably about a year or two ago, I think it was, um, at an event in London. And I remember you sort of talking a little bit there. And um, I'm, I'm kind of really interested to know a little bit behind your, your passion for mental health. You know, wh- where, did, where did that come from? I remember that event and I remember watching you present and thought as a real pro up there one day I'd love to be (laughs) I'd love to be able to articulate I suppose my story and with such I suppose richness and impact as as, as you did And, and, and I remember sitting in the audience and I really thought about how you made me feel in that audience and and how you made the audience feel about raising the profile of, I suppose, mental ill health and the importance of all of us to talk and trying to break the stigma. So, you know, thank you so much for that day because I think it was moments like that a couple of years ago that probably the real impact on me about how could I really start to share my story and potentially, you know, make an impact in, in business and beyond. Yeah, and, and that's great to hear. You know, I, it, it doesn't feel real sometimes when people say that. Um, but I think, like you say, you know, I know you've been a bit more vocal about your story. It's one of those where it just takes time, doesn't it? You know, it's not something that you just stand up one day and start blurting out. You know, it still took me a long time to to kind of share. Um, but But in terms of that journey that you've had, obviously, I know tiny bits, you know, you know, how, how has mental health impacted you personally? Yeah, and, and, and just like you say, it's probably taken me a bit of time as well. I'm supposed to find my voice in this. And I suppose it, it's funny, a lot of people ask me that and they go, well, where, where did it come from? And I think if I look back to my childhood, I was, I was always surrounded by, I suppose, friends and family that suffer from mental ill health, whether it was depression, anxiety, loneliness, I, I couldn't necessarily understand what it was at the time, but you could feel that something maybe 
wasn't quite right. Mentally different as well. And I guess, I don't know, I just I felt like I didn't quite fit in, you know? And in my early teens, my parents got divorced and I was thrust into a situation where I effectively felt like I was bringing myself up alone. And I got to the, the lowest of lowest places. And it was really challenging. And I always feared that I would have nothing. You know, and a normal day for me would be doing a long walk home from school. I would then try and work out, you know, how to make dinner. I would, you know, do the household chores, you know, homework. And I'd be sat in my bed at night very lonely. And it was very, very difficult. And that went on and on. And I feared I would have, I feared I would have nothing. So um, I think I probably lived my life actually a bit through through fear, but I think surrounded with my own personal experience. And, and even today, some of my, you know, best friends and family members also suffer from mental ill health. So it's, it's just something that seems to have always surrounded me. Yeah, and that's, that's, I mean, that's a powerful story. And I think, you know, children's mental health is something that plays a, a part of me and you kind of talking about how you were impacted at that very young age you know gave me goosebumps in a way um because it's something that you want to protect from your own kids from happening um how, how did you kind of work through that that isolation and that loneliness and sort of start to see that you know this is something that's happening to me but i can i can try and manage it myself yeah, I'm not sure I ever felt like I was ever really working through it or managing through it. I, I mean, I, I got to really low places and it was, it was difficult. I always I look back on it and think nobody ever really said, let's talk. Like, you know, they could see a, a, a young person was, was probably struggling, didn't have the infrastructure or, or family around. And I just find it interesting that nobody took a step back and say, can we talk to this this person and try and try and help them? Maybe they did. Mm. Maybe I maybe I wasn't receptive to it, but it didn't necessarily feel feel like it in that way. And you know, if, if I look, if 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 I then kind of fast forward a number of years, in two thousand seventeen, I was very privileged to be the strategy and transformation director at Pilatus, which is a global snacking business that owns the likes of McVitie's biscuits and Godiva chocolate and. The, we had just signed a mental health pledge to smash the stigma of mental health in the workplace. And as you can imagine, I naturally gravitated towards the efforts of the pledge as an ambassador. And I think it was back in 2017 that I really started to focus an awful lot more on mental ill health and mental health, actually, and, and really think about it more overtly and what it mean to me. Um, you know, and I'm very fortunate that I have seen the... The, the really positive side of mental fitness. And I'll talk a lot about mental fitness and mental fitness in business. You know, I focus an awful lot on my mental fitness and um, to make sure that you know, every day when I wake up, I'm good to go off. You know, I've got the energy to really take on the, the day ahead. And I've got lots of things which I do to, to help my mental fitness on a daily basis now. Yeah, and I think, you know, I love that mental fitness. It's, it's that, you know, I always talk about the the blurred line between between mental illness and mental health. You know, I always kind of say, if I say to you the word mental health, what does that mean to you? What's the first word that comes to your mind? Naturally, it's depression, anxiety, stress. And it's it's 
automatically we divert into mental illness, which means that we struggle to relate to it and we struggle to talk about it. So I love that word of like mental fitness. And, and, you know, I talk about my experiences with therapy and actually seeing that as a personal trainer for the mind rather than just going there when I'm broken. Um, so I do love that. And I think, was, was you vocal about your, your struggles before you did that in Pladis or not? Um, not really, not really. I, I remember, remember a number of years ago, we did a, like an insights personality profile at Myers-Briggs to understand a bit more about your personality. And, and that was probably the best part of 10 years ago now. And, and I think that was one of the first times I really started to think about our own individual personalities, how we impact others and how we can be at our best. And I did enough, started to read up a lot about emotional intelligence and, and really understand more about EQ. And I think through that, starting to understand more about me as well. Um, so I think it's been our, our journey and uh, I suppose in the, in the latter part of my, my life at the moment. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's a question I was going to go to as well of growing up in that kind of environment and growing up the way that you did. And you said my family experienced, you know, mental health challenges and you felt a certain way. Back then, did you know that? Or is it only now that you reflect back and, and you realize that? Um, I knew at the time for sure that something wasn't right. You know, I, I felt like I had this dark shadow. I felt like I had this cloud and I didn't quite know what it meant. And, you know, I, I got to a very, you know, like I say, the lowest of the low places and I could feel something wasn't right for sure. And I was surrounded by people with mental ill health, you know, close family members and friends. And I think now mental well-being is so high up the public discourse. I mean, it's incredible. And COVID has obviously moved that forward as well. And that, that's a great platform, I think, is people the confidence to talk. And we're seeing that now. You know, we're seeing rates of depression, anxiety, loneliness um, increase as a result of the pandemic. And it's no wonder that the World Health Organization, you know, says that mental well health will be the number one disease by 2030 and actually brought forward. So... I think that type of narrative and those discussions and what we're seeing organizations do and business do um, is really helping, I think, people to really think about their own mental well-being and have those conversations. Mm, yeah, I think that's so important. And as we go on to the, the workplace talk, I think it's still important that every individual realizes the importance of, of looking after their own mental fitness, you know, their own mental health um, and, and almost, you know, taking control of it in a way because i think we just naturally ignore it for for as long as we possibly can and, and don't really do much about it and everyone has that ability to do so um just quickly before we do go into the the workplace stuff how different do you think your upbringing and and life would have been if you was educated more on mental health from a from a younger age do you know what? I, I love I love that question because I, I love the fact it's a massively leading question, and, uh, <laughs> and, and I think you and I both you know probably uh, aligned I think on what the answer to that to that is. And you know, it just astounds me that we spend so many years of our life being educated on one part of our brain, on the logical side of our brain, the technical side of our brain, whether it's through primary school or secondary school, into university, into higher education, or or into professional qualifications. And like I said, it wasn't until about 10 years ago I did my first type of um, 
experience or research into more about me and my personality and, and the, the softer stuff. But what, why should it be like that? Because actually we know that what is going to be A, make us successful um, in business and, and in work is our emotional intelligence, understanding us, but also in life. And it's so important. So I think massively mental well-being, a bit like financial well-being as well. You know, why don't we really focus on that as much in primary and secondary school and it, yet, you know, a huge proportion of the population is, ends up in debt and struggles with that. So why don't we give the population and give us more of, a, more of these life skills? So massively think it should be included. And it shouldn't actually take for to happen to be an employer that happens to focus on these things that educate you on mental wellness that happens to have a really great program, you know, like we, we do at Starbucks or like we, we had at Pladis, that trains line managers or trains colleagues on mental well-being and mental um, health awareness. It shouldn't just take for that. It has to be wider than that. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's, you know, I shout all about it a lot. You know, it's, it's the education that I now have has all come from personal experience and then educating myself from hearing other people's stories, you know, and um, I think often that, you know, to, to, to kind of my journey and, and losing my dad and, and, and knowing what I know now, things would have been massively different, I believe. Right. But we did the best that we could with the education that we had around mental illness. And that education was non-existent. It was dad will snap out of this, you know everything will be fine and and you know sometimes people say but you don't want to be teaching kids mental illness you know that's not what we're calling for we're calling for just some education around emotions and you know how to deal with emotions and manage emotions and and i think the finance one is key and and i, I recently read a statistic around sort of this period where you know the biggest concern and the biggest worry that people have right now is finances you know and how much of an impact that does that have on people's mental health um and and like you say, I think it's like you probably know more than me, but I think it was like seventy percent of of people in the UK don't have any savings. You know, that's just it's you know we should be taught this kind of stuff. At, you know, at school. Um, and and do you think if you did talk about it at school, you might have felt less, not as different to everyone else, because you might have seen that other people were going through stuff as well. Yeah, but potentially for for sure and. I think, you know, your point about financial well-being, there was a recent study by the Mental Health Foundation that's obviously showing that things like depression, loneliness, anxiety are on the up since COVID. But also, we know that, as you mentioned, Paul, that financial well-being is a key determinant of our mental well-being. Yet those people that are unemployed were twice as likely to suffer from mental ill health conditions such as depression, anxiety, just, and I sit there and I think about that twice as likely to suffer. Yeah, what's happening right now, of course, is unemployment is only going one way. So by definition, are we not creating a larger number of, of, of people across the world that are going to suffer from, from, from these issues? And then therefore that will cycle back into the workplace at, at some point as well. So yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Financial well-being is a is a huge part of it um, yeah and and i'm sure just like you said you know being able to talk about it and feeling confident uh, to talk about it i think is important and that's why you know i think the mcbitties and mind partnership um was so powerful because it was all about talking 
and you see that with with lots of um, campaigns, you know, tea and talk and um, let's talk because the power of conversations and just feeling comfortable talking, I think, can just make a big big impact, as as you say. Let's talk about that because when when you told me you was a part of that, I was like, oh, was you really? I didn't know you was a part of that that campaign. I remember walking into my local Tesco, seeing a pack of McVitie's biscuits, and then seeing something about mental health on it, and I was like, that is a, a powerful idea because. For the last couple of years, I've always thought to myself with my marketing hat on, how can you get more people talking about mental health? And it's via your day-to-day stuff, you know, going for a coffee, going for a walk, you know, um, eating, drinking tea and biscuits as we do in the UK. Um, And talk us a little bit through that campaign, you know, where did the idea come from and kind of what was the successes of the campaign as well? Well, I'm so pleased you you said that, Paul, because there's, there's not many times, I think, in your career where you probably feel genuinely proud that pulls on the heartstrings and for sure that's that's one of them and and back in 2017 when when Pladis the global snacking business like say that owns McVitie's has signed a pledge we it started off from very humble beginnings it was around how can we create an environment support people in tough times but also promote positive mental fitness and at the time you know there was a small group of ambassadors and, and we grew the program to over 120 of the most incredible ambassadors, you know, who, who volunteered their time to try and create this environment. It was amazing. We're campaigning. It was, it was, it was brilliant. And I, I, you know, very fortunate and, you know, felt very privileged to be the exec sponsor of the, of the program. And through the energy of these ambassadors, we created this holistic program and we always said, look, it's really got to mean something. And it, did come from, like I say, humble beginnings and very, very tragic beginnings, actually, because one colleague in one of the sites took their own life. And I think, I think because of that, you know, at the time, people thought, what could we have done differently? And, and therefore, mental health was taken very seriously and something that the business and the teams wanted to do something about. And, and like I say, we went around and really tried to create this plan and it involved training and raising awareness and campaigning. And, and we kept coming back to the power of talking. And of course, in the UK, there's one thing that um, we love to, uh, we love to have a conversation over as a cup of tea and watch over the cup of tea, a biscuit. And of course, with the, uh, the nation's favorite biscuit brand, uh, our disposal would have been remiss, of course, not to have a, <laughs> not to have done something. Uh, and there was born tea talk and a biscuit. And of course, a McVitie's biscuit. And the partnership with mine just just blossomed. It was just it was just so heartwarming to see that blossom into what you said was seen up and down the country by millions of people. Be kind to your mind with McVitie's in mind and getting that out there. And not only that, of course, it supported mind with you know their services and creating more face to face face to face services as well. Just amazing and something the whole business was was proud of. And is there any way of, of tracking the success of that campaign or was it just, you know, because this is something, as you know, as well, everyone's talking about return on investment of mental health. And, you know, if we do these kind of campaigns and these initiatives, what are we going to get back? You know, by the sounds of this, it was more about an awareness and a do, a do good campaign. But, you know, could you track the success of it or, or not? Well, it's, it's a really good question. And obviously, as a, as a finance person, I love a good old uh, return on it. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the challenges, of course, with any mental well-being campaign is that we, 
it, it is more challenging to really understand where the benefits fall. That said, you know, the recent Deloitte report shows that return on investment is six times, nine times, eight times in different scenarios. So, you know, if I said to you, give me a pound out of your pocket and I'll give you eight pound in return, I'm sure you bite, bite my hand off for it. Mm. And that is the type of ROI that, that businesses are, are seeing and organizations are seeing come out of investing in mental ill health prevention and mental fitness for teams and for colleagues. So the, the ROI is there and it has been used. But whenever I talk to um, organizations about it, we always come back to, I think you have to answer the moral argument. So do we, do we accept that mental ill health is a huge issue? You know, do we accept that you know, one in three or one in four people will suffer in any given year? You know, do we accept the World Health Organization that says that it could be the biggest disease by 2030? And clearly, you know, there are, and, and like I say, you know, it's, it's incredibly sad. And, and you know, from your story, you know, we know that 800,000 people will take their own life in any given year. We sit here, we talk about COVID, which is not a too dissimilar number in terms of deaths, but every single year, every 40 seconds. So suicide is, is, is incredibly tragic and it's huge. So we accept the moral argument. And then I always then say, well, actually, therefore, the macro argument of, you know, it costs UK PLC 40 billion pounds, 40 billion pounds any given year, plus 80 billion in social economical costs. Uh, and they say that globally it costs $1 trillion. So if you accept that argument, and surely the organizations within it must have a role to play. And then I think you can then get into the ROIs of specific campaigns, if that, if that makes sense. I was just sitting there thinking, Johnny, I need you to come to every client meeting with me because you can chuck these numbers around. And <laughs> Well, I'm not sure, but... Um... <laughs> Just, it, but it's, it's, it's so true though and it's like, it's like you say it's we're always looking for that ROI or, or, or companies are and um, you know not every company but you know I you know what I'm saying and I think it's I think you know if, if you just sit back and just just like you said you know you're so proud of that that you've what you've done like how that empowers you as an employee you know and how that how that makes you feel and how that's helped other people as well there's that that's really what matters i think as well you know and we have to remember that and sometimes we can get drawn away from that as well yeah and you know and like i say at, at Platis, it was the most incredible team effort and you know whilst i might have sponsored the mental health well-being program we had an incredible marketing team that went out there and really brought that to life and we had the you know mental health and well-being ambassadors that really wanted to make a difference so um you know i i appreciate you um you you kind of saying me but it's just the most amazing honestly when you're in that team environment and and people mm. really really want to make a difference like wow it's just brilliant and you know at, at starbucks we have an incredible group again of you know mental health first aid champions and and a group that really want to make a difference as well and i just i just you see it's so empowering if you can get it right and you can really, you can really drive the change for sure. Yeah. And I want to talk about that because, you know, when you, when you mentioned about those ambassadors and that ambassador program, and I know, you know, Starbucks, uh, you know, have similar and, you know, I know Anita sent me that nice, I've got the coffee mug here somewhere. Actually it's in the kitchen, you know, my Starbucks coffee mug and, um, and just, you know, she shared a couple of things that was sent out to, to people in, in the organization around mental health, um, World Mental Health Day. And, and I, I talk a lot about ambassadors currently because, you know, you've got more experience than me on this, but 
but the the cost the cost is pretty little right to to empower your employees who are passionate about mental health who say i want to do something can create that that sort of you know the, the way for them to be able to do that within an organization i think is key so what's your kind of you know obviously you've got experiences but what's your experiences with with ambassadors mental health ambassadors within the business and have you got any tips for people to to launch something like that within their organization yeah, and I think you're absolutely right, Paul. You know, that, that empowerment's important. And it's how do you harness the energy? You know, how do you turn all that positive energy and wanting to give into something? And I think organizations that do this well, they set the tone from the top. You know, leadership really buy into it. And, you know, last year, our chief exec, uh, Kevin Johnson, you know, and across our leadership team said that breaking the stigma of mental health was going to be a real priority and that's amazing right that's that's the empowerment right there and the tone for the top and i think if you have the ambassadors but then if you can then get into the middle of line managers and and the wider kind of organization you can then start to get that momentum and and really start to make a difference so i think that ecosystem is important you know for ambassadors to really feel empowered as well you know training communication and um, education awareness giving them you know a route as well uh, whether it's through being first aiders right through to campaigning and, and and raising awareness and talking about it and you know whether it's you know things like speaker series and sharing stories as well all of these different things i think can really really um, empower ambassadors to make a big difference yeah and i think especially for the smaller organizations some of the ones that we work with you know it, it does fall on on you know the hr the hr's responsibility you know so i, I put something out there the other day where <laughs> you know, an organization of 200 be like staff morale's down and then they'll just look at the HR director and say, what are we going to do about this? You know, and, and it's almost very pinpointed on, on one individual um, definitely for the small organizations. And one thing that kind of we shout about is instead of it just always coming from HR, you know, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You can have three, five, 10, you know, 15 ambassadors, champions, whatever within the organization that, that can now start to, spread it and can now start to share their story and start to change culture as well. And, and that doesn't cost much, you know, that's just, you know, people's time and, and, and creating that sort of um, environment for them as well. Um, and other things, you know, other things within organizations, what, what have you seen that's been, that's been effective with, with your experience? And, and I think that that point you mentioned about HR is so important, you know, HR mm. in partnership with the business and, you know, Starbucks, we have an incredible HR team that, as you know, um, that's just doing some really brilliant things, engaging the business. And I think it's when, you know, we, we can work in partnership and actually, you know, really try and build it into the DNA. And I think that's what's important. I think that's when you see it work well, you know, with ambassadors and, and with groups that really then want to, as you see, feel empowered to create a strategy, create an end-to-end strategy. Everything back to, back to Pladis, we really great holistic strategy around communication, around engagement, around education, awareness, and tools. I think that's where you see things being done really well. And storytelling, like I mentioned, and being vulnerable. I remember there was this one moment we had signed a pledge. And I, I remember I remember going around the um, the exec team and, and saying, look, we really want to put um, mental mental health on the agenda. And every time I said the word mental health, I could just feel the stigma like drop it my mouth and just land on the floor. I just felt mm. it. Stigma, stigma mental health right in front of me mm. with that. And then we kind of then get into the language, you know, and we look deep into the values of Pladis and, 
the, the mission at Pladis was to bring happiness to the world. And one of the words we spoke about was positivity. So we went to the ambassadors and said, you know, what do you want to call the program? And he came back with positive minds. So I went back around the same, um, the same, uh, the same leadership, said, oh, you know, we should do something in positive minds. And everyone's really up for positive. And it really taught me something about language is so important. So important. And, and I remember um, when we signed this pledge, having, having got more support, uh, and we're calling a positive mind and getting the momentum. Um, and one of the, the leadership team stood up and shared their own personal story. And this, and this said, it was a large town hall, you know, a couple hundred people in the room. In fact, it was the, this town hall, more people attended this town hall than the chief exec's update, which I kept reminding them, you know, this is, this is much, people care about mental well-being so much more than a business update. This, this shows you how important it is. And actually more people watched it on the internal platform than would normally watch a business update, which uh, of course we kept reminding uh, leadership of well. But in that room, it was a 30 minute session and right at the end, one of the XCOM members stood up and shared their story. And within 30 seconds, they started to cry. And it was probably one of the most powerful moments I've ever seen. And everyone called it, everyone called it the session of this one individual. They forgot about the other 29 and a half minutes, you know, when I was up talking, other people up talking, they forgot about that. They focused on the last 30 seconds. I always remember that moment of vulnerability and storytelling at a leadership level. And if you can get the right language right, and you can get leadership on board, what a difference, what a difference it can make. I love, I love that. And like you say, I've, I've never thought of it that way of, of the language. And, and I, like I said, I think, you know, people do struggle to want to talk about mental health because naturally we default to mental illness. And, and, you know, I always talk about in my sessions, I go, what's the first word that comes to your mind when I say the word mental, right? And it's crazy, psycho, mad. And that's, that's the reality of, of it. So when we're trying to talk about mental health, the first word has already been, de- you know, stigmatized and we don't, and we, we see it a different way. Whereas let's talk about positive minds. It, it, it sounds completely different. It sounds more empowering. Um, which is key and and the senior buy-in I think is key have you got any and I know I get asked this question a lot as well any advice on, on how you can get senior buy-in apart from sort of maybe shifting up the language um, I think it's around understanding where the business problem is as well or the organization problem is so is it the case that there's high absenteeism or presenteeism challenges or efficiency challenges um, is it the case there's no opportunity in the market or is it the case that I know the recent employee survey results show that there's a particular issue around mental well-being. I think it's maybe doing a hook onto where the business problem could potentially be. Um, I also think there's something around, and just you touched on the point around language, and you and, and you mentioned it around, you know, the positive aspects of of mental health because you're right, and, and every time we say mental health, um, that stigma, and and one thing I just loved about Mental Health Awareness Week, which obviously you're a big supporter of is in in this space that is run by the Mental Health Foundation. And the theme this year we know was kindness. And I just loved that theme. And it's not something I really thought about too much. And I suppose it really resonated with in the middle of a pandemic and COVID and look at how the public, you know, reaction to Captain Tom and NHS volunteers. Kindness was such a, it's just such a word that just landed. And of course we know that, um, you know, by being protect, perpetually kind, studies out there show you that you can actually live longer, which is, <laughs> which is a great reason to mm. think. 
but it's not that really spoken about. But the thing I love about kindness is it's such a positive word. And I think it, it just comes back to your point. It's, it, I think it shifts the word mental or the word mental health into like a different space. And that's where I think the kindness theme of Mental Health Awareness Week really did, really did land because mm. of that. I suppose also it, it stuck with me. Maybe I wasn't kind before, don't know. <laughs> and it's probably not, I don't even think it's material things. And maybe that's because I'm a bit of a prudent Scottish accountant. I don't know, it's less about the material. But I think it's, it's more about, you know, for me, it's about giving time. It's about appreciation and just taking those moments to really listen and, and share and gratitude. So I, I just love that point you mentioned around shifting the narrative into the positive as well. And I think things like kindness is a great example of that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, even as you were saying that, I was thinking to myself, whenever you say to people, we're going to talk about helping others with their mental health, right? You know, we naturally think, well, you know, we can't do that. We, we're not qualified to do that. Or, um, again, we'd naturally default from mental health into mental illness. So we're like, we don't want to touch that at all, but saying, let's be kind to other people. I can do that. You know, I can, I can be kind to someone else. Um, I also really like this year's mental health awareness week. Cause I was talking a lot about being kind to ourselves as well. You know, I feel like we're not, you know, there's a real emphasis on being kind to others, but I feel we have to focus on being kind to ourselves. But there's a couple of things that I wanted to bring up that you, you mentioned. The first one is, is strategy. Um, which I feel like a lot of companies struggle with, you know, it's like, well, we've, we've got an EAP, we've got mental health first aiders, you know, we're doing this. And then, then you say, you know, what's the strategy behind it? You know, they haven't actually got a strategy. It's just, we're doing stuff for mental health. Um, how important do you think strategy is if, if you're trying to sort of improve mental wellbeing in the organization? Yeah, hugely. And I think, you know, what is the North Star? Where are you headed? What's the ambition? And how do you get there? And, and, and you're right. I mean, a lot of organizations have exactly that, have got some type of training, awareness, EAP. The usage of EAP will probably be quite low, eh? because maybe people don't trust it or think it's confidential or just don't know about it, don't know how to access mm. it. Awareness is low. So I think, how do you pull it all together into a holistic plan that really suits the organization? And I think strategy is a is an absolutely important point around it. And linked to that, to get to the strategy, is how do you make a business priority, and how do you get the boardroom talking about it? Mm, I love that. It's, it's it's so it's so key. And like I say, because so many companies are spending money, you know, time resources. Is it actually moving the needle? You know, is it actually impacting employee? well-being and employee happiness and i think you know we do have to start looking at at mental well-being within the workplace as a real complex subject that we can't just look at the hr director and say let's do something about this you know it needs to be people sitting down as you say creating a strategy of where do we want to get to why do we want to do this um and building that out which is something that we're we're really kind of focusing on as well but there's another point that you said about vulnerability which i quickly want to touch on um, vulnerability of a senior leader as well, which I think, as you've said, that just all, automatically transforms, you know, people's opinions of it in a way as well. As a, as a guy from Scotland, I'm guessing um, vulnerability has, has been something that maybe I'm generalizing here. You've shied away from. I know I've shied away from it for a long time. But how important do you think vulnerability is? Yeah, massively. And but again, it's not. But you're right. It's not something I probably thought about 
too much up until more, more recently. And, you know, the likes of Brady Brown, for example, I think is a good, good example to really mm. get this thinking. And I, I remember a few years ago when I had just, long, long story short, um, I had just been asked to become the ambassador for the Institute of Accountants for the year. I can imagine that's everyone's dream when, they, uh, when they're young, they want to be the chartered accountant of the year, but there you go. <laughs> and <laughs> I felt really privileged to be in that situation. And, and I had this, this one year where I thought I could really try and make a difference. I wasn't really sure how. And as part of being ambassador for the year, I was asked to attend this conference called One Young World. And One Young World, for, for those of you who, who don't know it, it's a bit like Davos, but for young people. It's incredible. It's the largest gathering of international people outside the Olympics. A couple of thousand people ascend about 200 countries and talk about social, economical, health, political issues. And just hear from like current and past presidents. It's just off the scale. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Uh, so I'm Colombia for this conference. I remember listening to President Santos of Colombia talk about make the impossible possible. And Kofi Annan um, stood up, the great Kofi Annan told us about, you know, reconciliation and listening and how that, that's really important. And then we heard from a number of actresses who shared their mental ill health experiences are effectively, you know, part of hashtag me too. And I stood there in the audience and I, I kind of realized that I suppose fear had almost driven me all my life. I, mean, I really feared that, you know, growing up, I would have nothing. I'd literally be living out in the street. I just didn't, I fear I didn't have huge family, friends. I felt, I felt I was going to be out in the street. And that always drove me. And I was the first person in my family to go to university and studied accounting. And, you know, I feel very grateful to have worked for some incredible international businesses. But it's fear that's driven me. I didn't really know what that meant. And I've never really spoken about it before. And I remember sat in the audience listening to all of these stories. And I came out of it and thought, maybe... I can find my purpose in this. And my purpose might be about talking about mental health and mental fitness in business. And, and from fear, suddenly in that moment, I felt like I found my purpose. And I came away from, from, this, from this summit. And one of the things I, I had to do as part of being this ambassador was to give a, a speech at the admission ceremony, which by the way, I was, as we say, up in Glasgow, bricking it. And uh, <laughs> I was, I was so nervous. I was so nervous. I didn't sleep for weeks. And I thought I have to stand up in front of a couple of thousand people in the International Conference Centre in Edinburgh and talk about something that's supposed to be inspirational to the, the next crop of, 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 of young people that are becoming chartered accountants. And I, I, I cannot tell you how nervous I was. Heart jumping at the chest. I was sat at the front of the auditorium. I was sandwiched in between two incredible speakers and I, th I thought I'm going to talk about mental health so I go up on stage and I talk about mental health and you know and in the and if you talk about you know um you know males or, or west of Scotland or whatever but even accountants right you know I mean accountants are not exactly known for expressing emotions never mind talking mental health and I spoke about it and I was so nervous and I came off stage and I thought I have no idea what I've just done afterwards so many people came up to me and said, me talking about mental health made such a difference. I got this LinkedIn from one person and it said what a huge difference it made to them for me sharing that story. 
And, you know, we often talk in, in, in our circle, Paul, and you'll know is around, you know, each time we share a story, we send a lifeboat of hope. And maybe I realized in that moment, maybe my role from, you know, fear into purpose is about sending out more lifeboats and being more vulnerable and talking more. And I suppose that's just stuck with me and I've, I've tried to maybe share more and, and but ultimately try and support those around me in the organizations, you know, like the Mental Health Foundation, like the Institute of Accountants to, to talk about it more. That's amazing. Dude, that gave me goosebumps as well. You're on one today, Johnny. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I, I, like, I like the lifeboat analogy. I like that a lot. But no, I've, I've got a folder in my phone. It's like, it says, keep going. And it's just um, screenshots of messages or comments that I've been sent from sort of the posts or the talks or whatever. Because I think you do forget that sometimes, you know, it, it takes a lot to be vulnerable. And um, sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And it's nice to just remind yourself of that. And, and think to yourself of that ripple effect as well. You know, as you've said, that senior leader who's, who, you know, stood up and got emotional and was vulnerable. And at that point, it's probably, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? Like the impact that had on everyone in that room, plus everyone else. And then the impact that could have on their families, you know, they could go home and talk about it to their kids or to their spouse or whoever. And, and I think that that ripple effect of just reminding that, everyone's human right everyone has mental health you know and 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 everyone can be vulnerable but um i think it definitely takes takes time to get there um quick question before we move on to a quick fire round um a couple more questions we could talk for ages right um was you was you vulnerable before you started to do stuff for platters and what i mean by that was was you very vocal about your own experience like you've been today or or not because I, i feel like sometimes we're always talking about being open and honest about our mental health challenges in an organization but some people don't want to some people are are open and honest to to the you know someone they live with or a family member but you know they don't want to talk about it in the workplace but they can still do stuff and show compassion and, and be a part of that so was that similar with your experience um yeah i don't really thought about that i mean possibly not i suppose i'd have to ask my Ask my team, my friends, my family, um, my wife. I don't think massively. I don't think I probably spoke too much about me or my life. For me, it was around, I suppose, around the task a little bit. Because, you know, when, when I was younger, I was so focused on task. I had to do 10 things because I didn't have that many people mm-hmm. around. Yeah. So I guess, I guess probably not so much. And I've been on quite a journey myself. And it's interesting because you were as you were talking, you know, and you were, talk, were talking about the waves, you know, you, you make a massive wave, you know, and, and I see you, you know, every day on LinkedIn sharing and talking. That makes a huge difference, huge difference. And I recall back to watching you on stage and share your story and, you know, talking, suppose exposing your vulnerability with such clarity and honesty. And that does make a massive wave. So, you know, I just, thank you for everything that, that, that you do because actually really you inspire me to try and then go on and, um, you know, try and inspire hopefully the next person. And as you say, it creates that, creates that wave. Yeah. It's amazing to hear. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's something we shy away from and I, I do feel that we still link vulnerability to, to poor performance or weakness. Right. But you know, it's, it's the best way I always explain it now is, is I did a talk to lots of builders who I walked in there and I thought these guys are going to hate this. And 
they were they they ended up saying you got you've got you've got balls on you you know you, <laughs> how do you stand up and talk about that and then and then it's like a queue of people saying i don't know how you did that but here's my story i've uh-huh. been through this you know this is what happened to me and and then i was judging myself because i was i walked into this room judging all these guys saying they don't want to talk about mental health because of how they look um so i think vulnerability is massively important um Johnny, like I say, we could talk for ages, but I just kind of want to finish up with with three quick questions. Um, two are a bit more sort of easier to to, to answer. The, the last one's a little bit more more difficult, I guess. But the, the first one is, what's the best book you've read recently? The best book I've read recently. Well, can I qualify that and say I'm actually listening to a lot? Audio books are fine. I listen. I like listen to more audio books. Um, I think Moment of Lift um, by Melinda Gates. Um, I'm actually really interested in the Gates. I, I happen to be a, a goalkeeper for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is around progressing the, the United Nations Sustainable Goals. And obviously one of the goals is around health and well-being. So I'm just genuinely interested in their story. And it is incredible, you know, absolutely incredible book, just talking a lot, a lot more around, you know, her experiences, but also just around women in general and women empowerment. And that's really learnt me. And vulnerability. Um, and actually, on that subject, The Invisible Woman is also a fascinating book if you've, um, if you've not read it. So there's two great books. And I've also just finished the, uh, the Alistair Campbell book um, around Depression and Me, which is another really, really insightful book. Another vulnerable book, actually. Another really vulnerable mm. I love that as well, just quickly, about you saying about understanding women in the workplace. And naturally you know, we wouldn't want to educate ourselves on that typically, right? Because we're like, that's not going to impact us. But it's it's hearing those stories that that open our eyes to it. We did a recent episode with um, a lady who, who spoke about um, menopause, the impacts of menopause. And, and as she was talking, I sat there and I thought to myself, I've never given this a second thought, you know, because how, how did this, you know, when my mum went through it, you know, I was just like, oh, it's just, she's just going through it. I never thought to, to think about, asking her or or understanding the impact it could have on mental health and and i think it's still important that we educate ourselves on on those kind of topics so i'll check those books out and we'll link to them as well just as, as you're talking there um around menopause it was actually my my wife who suggested that i read the invisible woman it talks an awful lot about um effectively unpaid labor unpaid work and it's fascinating and it's right these aren't this well for me it wasn't something that I would probably not naturally gravitate towards that book. And it was just fascinating, which is why then, um, you know, the Melinda Gates uh, book as well is, is really interesting. And as you're talking there, one of my wife's friends is, it does a lot of campaigning around period poverty. And again, not a topic I would naturally have gravitated towards or really understood. And again, it's just fascinating the impact that can have on, on mental wellness as well. Mm, yeah it's just, it's just education you know it's educating and, and hearing other people's stories and i think you know we might never we're never going to be able to walk in people's shoes but we can we can show compassion to to what they're what they're going through um next question what are you grateful for right now what am i grateful for well first things first in in the midst of a pandemic i am grateful for my health uh, that's for sure health and well-being you know roof over my head uh, having been in the supermarkets a couple of days ago and seeing no food on the shelves i'm grateful for uh, i'm grateful for having food but you know what i'm i'm i am grateful to just be surrounded by some incredible people to have these conversations 
and you know grateful for you know for, for my wife and friends and family um, and I suppose grateful that I feel like maybe I've been able to find more of my purpose in all of this as well mm, I love that it's great um, last question which might be a difficult one um, what advice would you give to the younger the younger Johnny mm. yeah. that one always throws me as well Johnny it always gets me <laughs> that is you know, I I look back and I think that that thirteen year old boy sat in his bedroom, lonely, didn't want to talk, didn't know how to talk, and maybe and maybe that's where, maybe that's about talking. Maybe it's about mm. yeah to kind of give him the the power to talk, you know, to speak to others and, and know that it's okay to talk. Yeah. It's powerful, powerful. Johnny, thank you so much for, for being honest, for sharing your wisdom. Um, really, really appreciate you coming on. Where can people connect with you? Where's the best place? Um, thanks, Paul. You can connect with me. You can find me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, um, and I'm sure through your, um, through your podcast channels as well. Yeah, we'll link up to everything as well. Johnny, thank you so much, and we'll speak soon. Thank you so much, Paul. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Bye.